I am your host, Raquel Ark, an American podcasting from Germany, and this is Listen In. Join this series of conversations with inspiring scientists, leaders, and authors about listening as a surprising superpower that is not always as easy as it seems. Believe me, I know, and I've been learning and will continue to learn, and I hope that this podcast will help you find practical ways to help others listen better while you become better at leading people, catalyzing collaboration, transforming conflict, building trust and engagement, And I'll tell you, when really good listening happens, then the entire group, including you, can feel energized and inspired. So sit back and enjoy listening beyond what we typically think of. What if learning how to optimize your voice and become more present in your body is key to speaking in a way that others can listen to you? whether you're face-to-face or online. Alyssa Weinzimmer, an award-winning vocal health educator, presence coach, and the founder of Voice Body Connection, helps performers, leaders, and speakers to optimize their voices and to share them more authentically. Alyssa's clients include Broadway stars, television personalities, politicians, and CEOs. Enjoy our conversation full of stories and examples that can help you have a more healthy and productive conversation while also speaking your truth. Enjoy listening in. So welcome, Alyssa, to the Listen In podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Raquel. So I had the opportunity to take a class from you. You have a company that's called Voice Body Connection. And you work a lot with people on helping them to find their authentic voice and also on building their presence. And one of the things, one of the reasons why I took your class is because we're doing a lot more work online with video and sometimes it gets a little exhausting online and to be able to work with how to be able to be fully present online was important to me. And so I learned a lot from you in your class and what I noticed as I was taking your class and learning from you is that you, a lot of the work that you do is very connected to listening. And Mm. that's why I'm happy to have you here today. Before we get into your work though, I'd love to go back a little bit in time. Sure. And first of all, I'd love to understand how do you understand listening and what's your perspective on this topic? Yeah. Well, once again, thank you for having me. And thank you for the introduction. It was wonderful to have you in Authentic Voice Academy. Listening. I understand listening as a process of receiving. Sometimes when I am thinking about our senses, I think it's really interesting that our eyes can look and see. And it's pretty clear that looking is the outward process and seeing is the inward process the metabolizing of the looking. And the interesting thing, it's it's occurred to me in thinking about our ears, I'm not totally clear whether hearing is the outward process and listening is the inward process or vice versa. I think I'd probably go with the former, in which case what that means to me is that listening is the metabolizing of the reception of what we are getting through the sensory organs that are our ears 
and really honestly through all of our senses, including, including our sixth sense. So listening is to me a way of interpreting, metabolizing, understanding what's happening in the world around us and with the people around us. Hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, I think that just so that there's a lot of there's a lot of different perceptions of what listening is and the definition of is it of it is, but I've noticed that as researchers find out more about listening that it's becoming much more how should I say full body, <laughs> full mind. Yeah. <laughs> like you're mm-hmm. describing exactly. Mm-hmm. So so this is really important what you say. So how do you connect this listening with voice? Because you spend a lot of time helping people find their authentic voice and their presence. So I'd love to hear how this listening and the voice, how they work together. Yeah. So I'll stay with this idea of the outward flow and the inward flow. So when we are expressing ourselves, I think that the word expression actually refers to the outward flow of that which is within us, that which is true inside of us that wants to be put out into the world. Expression to me is a very up and out activity. And then once we put our expression out into the world, which might be something like, can you please pass me the salt, which is relatively benign, or something more intense, like I think we should change our government. When we put that expression out into the world, the next thing that happens that actually is distinct and different, in my opinion, is communication. And communication is when there's actually a feedback loop, when we actually start receiving other people's expression. Like I said, I'm liking this word right now, metabolize their expression, listen to their expression, and then go back and forth. So to me, communication is when the full arc of a process starts. And in the communication process, the two aspects are really speaking and listening. Mm -hmm. And like you just referred to, I think that speaking and listening can happen with various organs of the body. It doesn't necessarily need to be our vocal folds in our ears, but the ability to perceive what is going on, take it in, understand it, and then share our next piece of expression is the full process and it's not complete without the half that is listening. If we, sometimes I use the catchphrase all the time, speak your truth. And sometimes people will be like, clients will say to me, I do speak my truth. I totally speak my truth. People don't like to hear it, but like, I'm not, I'm great at speaking my truth. And once I start questioning them a little bit further, I can discern that even though it's some version of what feels like their truth to them, it's not in alignment with what the people around them are able to receive. And therefore it's actually not the deepest truth. The deepest truth that we have to express is also able to be heard. I think able Mm. to be listened to, able to be received. You're talking about now, I, what I'm wondering is I wonder what's happening is perhaps They feel like they have their voice and they're speaking it, but actually there's actually like what you said, there's something deeper. There's something more there that is not being expressed and therefore they feel not heard, but it's actually, they're not listening to that deeper voice. There's something more there. There's something more that wants to be heard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've been writing about a concept lately that I call conversation culture Mm -hmm. and it's my response to cancel culture 
which those of us who have seen cancel culture, it's it's been relatively pervasive in the news and in the last like year, years. Certainly the Me Too movement was a wave of cancellations that rolled through our society based on people behaving in ways towards women that were not appropriate. Canceling can happen for very, very important and, re- and, and good reasons. Here in the US, there is talk of essentially canceling the current president, right? With impeachment is I think a way of looking at cancellation. But cancellation also happens in our culture and places that is really, really, really painful. And I think causes us a lot of challenges. For instance, I look at the US justice system or rather the the criminal justice system and the education to prison pipeline and just what we have here in terms of, of prison culture as a way of canceling demographically canceling parts of our culture. Mm-hmm. And when we have this, this manner of just shoving what we don't want to deal with under the rug, canceling it in some form or fashion, it's very difficult to live in alignment with our deepest truth. You're, you're talking about deepest mm-hmm. truth right now. And I think it's very, very difficult because exactly, I agree with what you said, there's a part of ourselves that we're not listening to. And if we're not listening to that part of ourselves, how can we actually truly effectively listen to others? Yeah. Even though I th- it seems it's, we need each other to be able to listen to that deeper truth. We can't do it by ourselves. I don't think. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it involves, I often say that the moment when someone speaks something that just feels like the deepest kernel of truth, it, it feels like someone took a pin to a balloon and it just deflated (laughs) like oh that whatever whatever construct I had built around my thoughts around this issue okay that just deflated I I can't pretend that I didn't hear that I can't unhear it I can't un un unprocess it and when we speak truth to each other and when we deflate these egoic built up parts of ourselves yeah I think that's the form of collaboration that allows us to actually get to a place where we're really able to listen to ourselves and each other. Well, that's what I think you talked about moving from the cancel culture to the conversation culture, right? And so this conversation culture is helping support moving to an alternative to, to people being able to listen to or to, to each other, to, to move, to at least start to open the door, <laughs> to head in a direction where we can start to have meaningful conversations. Um, yeah. yeah. And One other thing that I'll say, which feels like the most important thing to say about when do we walk away from a situation, in other words, cancel it versus when do we converse, when do we engage? To me, it has to do with safety. So if I'm trying to find a middle ground, trying to listen to someone, but my physical or even psychological safety is at risk, then I have to, I have to leave. That's when cancellation is appropriate. But A lot of times, especially in the societies that we're living in globally right now, our nervous systems are so amped up that we don't necessarily realize that we are safe, even though our nervous system is registering this perceived feeling of unsafety, right? So we have to start tuning ourselves to like, okay, when am I actually safe? And when am I actually unsafe? When I'm actually unsafe, get out of there. 
But if I'm safe and maybe just not comfortable, but if I'm safe, can I actually be curious enough to listen to this person who has an opposing viewpoint, who is challenging me, who is asking me to look at a part of myself that it's painful to look at? So to me, that that's that's the barometer of when it makes sense to engage versus disconnect. Can you give me an example of a time where that was the case for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, something quite personal that I've been thinking about recently is in romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. And there have been relationships in my life where I realized that I didn't feel, I just didn't feel it, it really does tread the line between safety and comfort, but ultimately I didn't, re- I didn't really feel safe. Like I didn't feel safe to be myself. I didn't feel safe to expand in the ways that I wanted to. And I'm realizing now, as I kind of like go back and do an inventory of a past relationship specifically, that the reason I, I left, even though I wanted to stay is because there wasn't a conversation to be had anymore. It wasn't the, the safety wasn't there. So that's personal and vulnerable for me to say, but I share it because I actually think there are probably a lot of us who relate to that. And especially when we're in a process of really wanting to step into our truth, really wanting to be our highest selves. Obviously, we've been living inside of a worldwide pandemic for a year. And it's it's really, I think, allowing all of us to like just strip away, strip away. Who do I want to be? And how do I want to expand in my life? What do I actually, what, what kind of vibration, if I'm using a, a voice metaphor, what kind of vibration do I want to have in my life? What do I want to expand into? And if we can't be fully ourselves, then it's, it's okay to walk away from certain relationships, certain situations, certain conversations. Not everyone can carry every torch. If, if we bring the example over to, there are so many different types of injustice happening in the world, I can't fix everything. It's not actually my job. Here's another example, right? It's not actually my job to be on the phone all day long, making sure that my views on the environment and social justice and so on and so forth are being pursued because if I spent my entire day on the phone, I wouldn't be able to eat, sleep, take care of myself. I wouldn't be safe. Right. So even when we're doing our forms of activism, we have to ask ourselves, how do I take care of my safety first and then give from a full cup? Hmm. The safety thing and feeling safe enough to be able to have a voice Mm -hmm. and at the same time to feel safe, safe enough to be able to listen when it gets uh, tough <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> or challenging mm-hmm. also to listen if, okay, I'm now it's time to move on. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of different yeah. la- layers happening there, aren't there? Totally. Totally. Yeah. I sometimes talk about the idea of, so in Vedic philosophy, in the ancient Indian stuff out of which Hinduism, Buddhism, everything arise, arises, there's instead of good and evil, good and bad, this binary, there's actually three things. There's creation, maintenance, and destruction. And I was just speaking with a student in my community recently who said that they think of it as, what am I going to change here? What am I going to endure here? What am I going to walk away from in this situation? And in any given moment, 
any of those three options, whatever is most true is a perfectly valid way to proceed. We can create something new by changing the situation. We can endure it, maintain it, sustain it. Endurance isn't necessarily a bad thing. We love endurance in athletes, right? Mm -hmm. Or we can walk away from it. We can dissolve it. And all of those things, again, Vedic philosophy would say, lead towards evolution. So what I what I heard you say just now that I think is very true is, is that, and I'll maybe add this to my definition of listening, listening doesn't just have to do with only listening to the other person. It also has to do with listening to yourself at the same time and never leaving yourself behind because it's your own inner listening that's going to help you understand how to proceed in that process of changing, enduring, or um, walking away from. Hmm. That reminds me like years ago, when I first started exploring this whole listening topic a little bit deeper with some of the researchers and scientists, and I was talking to to one of my mentors and I asked him, so what's helps people be the best listeners or something in that area. And he's like, well, people become, can become good listeners when they start listening to their, when they're able to listen to those inner voices then they can Mm. become better listeners. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah. When you, when you talk about what you're talking about now and reflecting on, on what you're working on now, also the shift, Mm -hmm. you know, this, your work on the conversation culture or your work on presence and voice. Do you remember the first moment where you started to become aware that there, there's something here about voice, about, about communication, about conversation that is important to pay attention to? Yeah, I have a couple, I have a couple examples yeah. and they kind of make me chuckle. I'll bring us all the way back to my childhood to elementary school. So a couple things happened in elementary school that I, that I remember specifically in terms of listening. I have always really wanted to be a good student. I have always been a good student. And that's been really important to me. And I think in many ways, it created a split in me from an early age because when I was relatively young, like I remember doing this when I was like eight or nine, like the second, third grade, I would spend recess at school going out to the far end of like the soccer field. There was kind of this like area back in in the back, like near some blackberry bushes. And there was this little bench and my friend Katie and I would go back there and we would write these spiritual songs. Basically, we were trying to go to the corner of the, of the field that felt like most surrounded by nature. Right. And, And we would like write these spiritual songs. And, and so like, there was this like deep listening, communing with nature happening for like, let's say the 20 minutes of recess. Right. And then in the meantime, so <laughs> yeah, go, sorry, say it again. You're probably so sweet there. Oh my, it, it was such an interesting thing to start having flashbacks, remembering that I did this. I was like, whoa, I've been writing songs like this my whole life. Whoa. <laughs> Meanwhile, what was happening inside the classroom was I was really like a model student. I, I got good grades, except I remember it was either like around the same time, like maybe first, second grade. We didn't have A, B, C, D, F yet on our report cards. We had we had O's, S's, and N's. O for outstanding, S for satisfactory, and N for needs improvement. And I got one N, Raquel, in my entire elementary school career. Yeah. And it was in listening. <laughs> <laughs> and 
I think that the reason I got that N is because I like I would get distracted in the class and I would, I would like, sometimes I, I, I would go between like raising my hand and answering the questions all the time, but then also like class clown mode, like trying to get attention. And, and I mean, if we're talking back with that idea of like expression and then communication actually starts to loop, I, I just like, I had so much I wanted to express. I'm like kind of channeling child Alyssa right now. I think what was going on is I had so much I wanted to express that I didn't want to give time for other people's feedback on it. And I, yeah. I was like, what is all this math history stuff we're doing right now? I have things that I want to express. And yeah, I think I brought that into check relatively quickly. I, I didn't feel happy about not getting a good grade, but There was something happening out on the playground at recess that to me felt like the real flow of like, okay, giving and receiving and listening. And so that like the the dichotomy that I'm describing that got set up in elementary school has followed me my whole life, this energy of, and I think it's this energy that we get caught up in, in the, in the systems, the governments, the corporations, the everything we've constructed, this like output and, and give the teacher what the teacher wants to hear type of system, I think can really, it can divorce us from what we really truly want to say. And from like a slower, gentler form of giving and receiving through speaking and listening, if Mm. that makes any sense. That's yeah. So, so that's what I remember about formative experiences around listening. (laughs) And so now you said it's been following you your whole life, right? Yeah, and, I think so. <laughs> and if you, if you really take, like, really sink into the work that you're doing and what really matters to you, mm-hmm. what really matters to you, what is it that you really, what's really important for you to sing right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's about connecting to my own authentic voice and being a model and a space holder for others to do the same. So to say more about what I mean about this following me for our, my whole life and, and perhaps others listening relate, I'm going to introduce a model to give us a little bit of language about this. And it's something, Raquel, that you heard me talk about in the class that you took. Patsy Rodenberg, she's a British voice teacher who comes from a theater background like me and also has worked in a ton of different environments, including with corporations, with lawyers, in prisons, not just actors. Patsy came up with a system that she calls the second circle. And the second circle actually involves, involves three circles of energy, first, second, and third. And first circle is when we are withdrawing and withholding our energy and more concerned with ourselves. So we, we, we're in like a smaller bubble. Our energy is staying inward. I'll skip over second for a minute because you can picture this kind of like a Venn diagram where second is actually the overlap of first and third. Mm-hmm. Third circle is the energy of pushing or forcing outwards. It is being more concerned with the outside world than ourselves. And in that mode, we kind of spray our energy outwards. We're, we're very, we're like projectile <laughs> energy. And then second circle is when we're concerning ourselves at the same time with ourself and the outside world. So we're holding both things in our awareness at the same time. 
And there's a give and a take and a flow back and forth. And this is the circle of true presence, true intimacy, full connection. It's not selective presence, it's full presence. And I love this model. And so to then give some language to, to what I think I've carried through my life. So in order to be the student who had the right answer, in order to perform in the musicals, et cetera, et cetera, the things that I've done in my life, I, I really learned third circle energy as an adaptation where I was to some degree leaving my own intuition and myself behind, I left that little girl on the play- playground at a certain point and then had to like remember her and rediscover her more recently. And I pushed into this energy more of third circle of being concerned with what does the world around me want, need, and, and can I just like spew it, give it to them, right? And I think a lot of us wind up in that mode or another way to deal with the expectations of society and our educational systems are potentially to withdraw, withhold, go inward, go more into first circle. When we go out of balance, we're going to go one or other direction. And so to me, this work is about coming into full presence again, coming into what Patsy Rodenberg calls second circle. It is about letting the voice that's inside of me that that we've spoken about, letting that be loud enough that I can hear it. It's not about overcorrecting, swinging the pendulum so that that starts to drown out the outside world. Cause then I go into that mode of, oh yeah, I know how to speak my truth. I'm just going to spew my truth. Like, and then we just start ping ponging back and forth between withholding and pushing, withholding and pushing, withholding and pushing. We can find the middle space. We can become fully present when we just yield into an energy of I am here, you are here, we are here, what's here? Curiosity. And to me, only in that space of curiosity, and we're not curious unless we're safe, comfortable, feeling connected to the people around us. So curiosity, genuine curiosity indicates that we're in a state of balance as well. When we're in, when we get to this space of curiosity, new possibilities can arise, new solutions to the world, world's problems can arise. And so to me, the purpose of doing work where I am seeking alignment with my own inner truth, expressing my truth with the world, communicating with others around me, listening to others around me, the purpose of all of that is so that we can access a quality of energy where new solutions can arise. We can evolve, we can expand, we can grow, we can feel more fully ourselves. And then we're just living better lives. Mm. Yeah, it'd be nice. Yeah, and that's a nice place. That's a really good place to be. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's. I think I I don't know a better place to be. (laughs) Yeah. So, so right now, what you're speaking, you're, you're speaking your truth and you're sharing what's deep inside of you and it's, and it's beautiful. And, and I, from the way that you were just talking about, you were more concerned with others and what other people thought versus what's really coming from you, right? Mm. So then what was, the, what was the turning point that allowed that to happen? I mean, there were so many, but I'll, I'll name a couple. So I remember... So I I trained in musical theater for a lot of years and musical theater actually is an art form that to some degree rewards 
that like kind of ham it up energy, which is relatively pushing, forcing third circle. And I remember, I guess actually in in fairness, all of the turning points happened right around the same time, like the the most catastrophic come to Jesus type moments, Mm -hmm. a couple of different things happened in order. I think this is in chronological order. I remember I took my first acting for the camera class, my final semester, or like my final year at the university of Southern California. And I watched myself on film on, well, on video anyway, back then, I think we literally used VHSs. We did. We did. <laughs> I was like, Oh my, but there were totally VH. I remember the VHS going in and out of the anyhow. And I remember watching myself on video and being like, Oh, what I've been doing doesn't work. Like mm-hmm. it's too much because the camera, and this is of course now part of what I teach because the camera picks up so much, the over, the pushing, the forcing, the over emoting, it doesn't translate. And I didn't have the language for it, but well, I sort of had the language for it. The year before that I'd been studying in London. I'd been studying at the British American Drama Academy for a semester. And one of my teachers, Sheila, may she rest in peace, said to me something about like being versus doing. She said, Alyssa, you have to go find this book. It's called something about being doing. And I, I remember just being really confused afterwards. Like, well, does she want me to do, or does she want me to be, which one's better? <laughs> I actually like, it, it was such a new concept for me. I couldn't absorb what Sheila was saying to me. It took me a couple of years to be like, oh, I get what Sheila was saying. She's saying, you're doing more than necessary. Just be, got it. <laughs> so like I, I was starting to get these reflections in my acting work. And then the other thing that happened was as a singer, I was um, in an acapella group while I was at USC. For those who have seen the movie Pitch Perfect, my life was like that. (laughs) And including like the partying at night and and drinking alcohol. And and as the goody two-shoes, good student that I was, I was like, I've got to take advantage of this. I've got to enjoy the end of my college career. And I had this kind of perfect storm moment in terms of vocal health where I lost my voice. And it was due to the pushing, the literal physical vocal pushing and abuse. I was singing What a Feeling from Flashdance as my solo in my acapella group. And it was, I was just, sometimes the word people use is screlting it. I was scream belting it. And so the pushing my voice daily, the alcohol, it all led to a vocal hemorrhage, acid reflux, and the severe clenching of my muscles, which is clinically called muscle tension dysphonia. And I had to go on vocal rest for a month. And once I was off the vocal rest a month later, I was like, I don't trust my voice. I don't feel like I have any stamina anymore. And so that completely changed the trajectory of my career. I had been planning on being a performer. And now I was like, what am I going to do? Who am I? Even like mm-hmm. it, it brought up questions of identity. And I think all of those things jerked me into an awareness that my pushing, my forcing wasn't going to work anymore. And then it's been 14 years since, since that happened. And I think now it's just been like a ever unfolding process of what does it mean to, to, to do less and, and be. Mm-hmm. And I think for any human, that's an ever unfolding process. Mm-hmm. How do I do less long. and just be? Mm-hmm. 
And part of um, that is also when you're, when you just be, then you are fully present. Yeah. And, and there's a way of overcorrecting where we're like, okay, do less, do less. And then we don't actually just be, we, we pull back. And then we're in what Patsy describes as first circle. We're withdrawing, we're withholding. So just being, and, and a lot of times I like to help people understand what just being is somatically in their bodies. Mm -hmm. And essentially if you were, and everyone can try this with me, just wherever you are, just push your hands, pull your hands, push your hands, pull your hands, push your hands, pull your hands for a couple of minutes. That's the ping pong thing that we keep doing when we're trying to fix our doing with more doing and just being involves dropping your hands to your sides. It's a totally different letting go is different than doing. It's a different experience. So, yeah. Yeah. So you use some of these exercises, what you're talking about to help people be in, in this, to be present so that they can be, have more impact when they are on video. This is something you had to learn the hard way, right? Yeah, and sure. also, <laughs> and also how to use voice and presence so that people can listen better to them. Right. So mm -hmm. you, you help through some of the classes, or at least what this is something I took from, from the class I took um, from you is how can I, through my voice, through the way that I speak, through my presence, how can I help people listen to me better? which is mm. not a forcing energy, what you're talking about. It's a very present energy, right? Yeah. 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 Our presence draws people into presence with us. That's the mechanics of it. And let's see, let me, let me give an example. So I live in New York city. I have not ridden the subway in a little while now, given the pandemic, but that experience when you're in a public space like the subway and you suddenly look over and you catch someone looking at you. That is the mechanics that I'm talking about in practice. If someone is really present, looking at you, staring at you, curious about you, your spidey sense, this is the official neuroscience terminology is our neuroception, draws us into presence with that which is present with us. It's actually probably a survival mechanism yeah. so that if, if we're being hunted, we, we know. And so, so the reality is our presence begets more presence and we cannot force anyone into presence with us. I mean, you can hear right there, the, the definition of the state of, of the forcing, we, we can't make anyone pay attention to us. And a lot of times, like I think of like influencers on Instagram, on their Instagram story, kind of shouting towards their like, oh my God, you guys, you have to blah, 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 right? mm -hmm. kind of shouting into the camera. Now, part of what happens with technology, and like you said, we're all engaging with it so much more these days by necessity, is that because there's this added barrier, it's, it's hard for our nervous system to understand how do I, through this barrier, reach out to connect with other people with a genuine state of presence. But the reality is, whether I'm thinking about my friend in Australia across the planet, and she suddenly texts me because she felt the vibrations of me thinking about her. Like we do have this possibility to impact each other vibrationally across time and space and through technology. So yeah, so, so the work is really about just finding that state of presence. And then from there, you can expand your bubble as wide as you want. 
you can expand it to the whole universe. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's take this, um, how we're engaging online. And I'm going to take this into to an organization. For, sure. And so you have leaders or managers who are now having to facilitate meetings online. And I've yeah. heard this actually from, from different people who are higher up that normally the charisma they have in person, they get frustrated with, the, with this online meetings because they don't have the same charisma. They feel this loss of, of, of power, of being able to influence from their presence, which is this probably, I, I wonder, there's probably different facets to that presence on what, on what that means. But yet there's a lot of people who are now trying to facilitate, trying to engage people online. And I think this, this work on how we come across on, on video and how we, use your, how we use our voice and how we speak to help take people along with us is really important. So maybe you have some, some ideas or some thoughts about that you'd like to share with our audience. And just one more thing. I, we talked a lot about when we're on, on video, this aspect of feeling safe so that we can communicate and mm. feel good when they're communicating. There's two different aspects. So one is the safety and one is engaging the people who are, who are listening to us. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Most of the reason we ever would go into, again, I'll talk about Patsy's circles. Most of the reason we would ever go into third or first circle, we would ever push force or pull back is because there is an actual or perceived issue around safety and we're protecting ourselves. So for instance, if I was a child and I remember when I was a child, an adult standing over me telling me like, you shouldn't be speaking you need to be quiet. Why did you say that? That might be a great way to, to encourage me to go into first circle to pull back. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I'm, I'm essentially like, especially if that's winds up being a parental figure, like a person who is taking care of me, that becomes a, a truest issue of safety. If I don't behave the way they want me to behave, then I'm not going to get the nurturing and care that I need. I'm not describing my own caregivers. Thankfully, my, my parents are lovely, but this does happen to a lot of kids. My version was being in theater class and, and being told to be louder, <laughs> being told like, make sure you, your volume goes all the way to the back of the room. And, and so that's really, that was part of my training in, in pushing instead of pulling back. And so these patterns emerge in our nervous systems as in yoga, we call it a samskara. It's like, it's like a groove. They get grooved from a very young age. And these grooves, they're created for a reason. They're created to protect us. And so when we start to think about doing something like running a meeting for our employees, and and this can happen in person just as well as online, if we're used to, if that feels like a threatening situation, like all eyes are on us, we want to be sure we survive. We want to be sure we keep our job. If there's some way that our nervous system is, is triggering this, tagging this as a be sure to stay safe type situation, then it's very likely that we're going to follow those old pathways that we've had established since a very young age of either pulling back or pushing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the people who push are the ones who wind up in the managerial roles, right? Because, oh, well, like that person knows how to take up space. Yeah. And the ones pulling back are the ones that are really quiet in the meeting, even though they notice everything going on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and we wind up in, these, in this stratification. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, and, and this is kind of similar to what I described when I was watching myself on video when I was 18 years old, is 
a lot of times those tactics, like the sort of bombastic, like take up extra space, be loud, control the room tactics might work okay in the conference room. And they're not translating very well onto camera because yeah. <laughs> we're seeing everything a little bit closer. So the camera doesn't lie, as we like to say to actors. And this is actually, I think, maybe a, a really incredible invitation for all of us to just really work on genuinely becoming present. And I'll just loop it back to, of course, the topic of our whole conversation. Don't forget that being truly present means listening and not just speaking. And here's a way to catch yourself. If you're running a meeting and you're feeling uncomfortable about your charisma, your confidence about running the meeting, ask yourself honestly, am I trying to do a good job or am I showing up with genuine curiosity, ideas, and the capacity to listen to other people's ideas? If you're trying to do a good job, then I recommend that you pick up your attention from the perceived idea of how you're going to be received by the rest of the people in the meeting and move your attention, move your focus to your curiosity about what's going to be discussed about the content. It's not you are a vessel for a good meeting. Mm. <laughs> your, your ego doesn't make a good meeting, right? It doesn't matter if you do a good job or a bad job. What matters is, is the conversation we need to have in this meeting had. Does this meeting evolve us, move us forward? So it's, it's about, to me, it's about picking up our attention, picking up our listening. And instead of watching for cues of, do they like me? watch for cues of, do they understand what I'm saying? And I'm, am I learning from what they're saying? Mm. Yeah. And just to loop back also to what I know is really important to you, this thing about speaking your truth, right? And so here in this meeting and you're presenting, so focusing on the content. And yet, if you look at what's going on in some organizations right now, where employees are asking for the organizations to step up when it comes to some of the social injustices and some of the things that are happening right now. I'm just thinking about speaking your truth, but in that second circle, yeah. how, to, how, to, how to be able to speak the truth, to um, be able to have a voice and to listen this balance, but in a way that's, which allows a conversation yeah. yeah. I, I sometimes, by the way, I sometimes give this, the three circles of energy nicknames that I think might be helpful here. Mm -hmm. uh, first could be self-focus. Third could be other focus. And then second is balanced focus, like mm -hmm. you just said. And when we think about balanced focus, that can help us stay in that middle space. Yeah. The, the, the thought that came to me, and I, I've heard this from, you know, so many clients, over the years who work in corporate environments, they're like, well, speaking my truth involves telling Lola, like whoever off, I don't like working with Lola. She doesn't cooperate with the team. She's really annoyed, like whatever, right? Apologies to anyone named Lola. But, and, and again, I'd go back to that idea we were talking about at the beginning of, okay, that's not your deepest truth. The deepest truth is whatever another person on your team, whatever their behavior is that's triggering you, that's a reflection of you. So can I come back to myself and be like, okay, introspective, what does that mean? So corporations are made up of people. And when a corporate culture has been built of fear 
or we do things this way, which is another version of fear. It can be really scary to bring these larger issues up, even in like, I want to change the way we're managing this one piece of things because it's more inclusive, it's more equitable, et cetera. If we can really find a way to own our own experience and speak from an I place, I feel, I'll try to think of a good example here. I feel like it's out of alignment how we're hiring for this job. We're reaching out to the same channels we always reach out to, which means we're going to get the same types of candidates, which means we're not moving the needle as far as diversity in our hiring, right? Mm. If I can say something like that from an I place of I'm feeling really uncomfortable and out of alignment with this, given everything that's happening in the world, and if I can bring that to a higher up in my company... There's really nothing they can say because the way that I just phrase that is, I feel really uncomfortable with this, right? They're going to be like, well, you shouldn't feel uncomfortable, right? That's, that's the, now, if you say, if you come in and say, we need to change this because it's wrong, then they're going to be like, we can't change this X, Y, and Z. But when we actually speak from our place of truth, this makes me feel uncomfortable. It feels out of alignment things are changing and I'd really love to see us change our practices in this arena. Those type of conversations are the ones where we're speaking from an embodied place of our own truth, where we can actually interrupt the way the conversation has always gone and something new can happen. Hmm. Yeah. And those kind of conversations are just to know it's not just one conversation. It's opening up. It's opening up the possibility for further conversations, which is what comes back to even what you talk about conversation culture. It's just not about a conversation. It's about a conversation culture. Exactly. So even if you don't feel comfortable yet saying that to your superior, talk about it over lunch in the, like, I'm thinking about a recent company I worked in and like, we would sit there in the lunch area, like talk about it with your coworkers, just be like, I'm feeling uncomfortable about this. I don't even have a solution yet, but I think there must be a different way for us to navigate this hiring process or who we're including in these meetings or how we're choosing these vendors, et cetera. Right. Mm -hmm. And then like, like a wave of conversation moving through the organization, the culture can shift because the, because we're, we're safe, we're curious, we're speaking from our own embodied experience. We're not threatening each other. We can start to be curious and come up with new solutions. Yes. So we need more of that. <laughs> more of that. <laughs> more <indeed>. of that. <laughs> yeah. And um, to the companies who are doing things like that, and I know there are many out there and yeah. the, we, we've got a, a lot of curious people on this planet right now, just kudos. And that's wonderful. And keep going. Yeah. I think it's, it's growing for, so that, for sure. that's great. Yeah. Alyssa, is there anything else or is there something that I should ask you that I haven't asked? Oh gosh. Um, well, we've <laughs> talked about my childhood. <laughs> we've talked about breakups. We've talked about, let's see, I'll just finish by saying like kind of a thesis statement of all of this, mm-hmm. which is something I'm really living by. When we align with our inner truth, when we express it with the world, when we communicate with each other in a balanced present way, it literally raises our vibration. So like that idea of high vibration, the frequency rising, that's a thing for real. And when we raise our own vibration, just like a ripple process, it ripples out around us and it affects other people around us on 
sometimes I call the sixth sense, the spidey sense. So like on a spidey sense level, not like we, we can perceive it with all of our senses and more. And the more of us that are coming into alignment, speaking our truth, doing this work, it starts to elevate all of society. And in that way, using our voices liberates us. And so truly this is, this is work that even though it can be very personal, it can be very interior, it can feel challenging, it can feel painful. It is work that is going to change the whole planet. I, I really think it's kind of, I, I'm not going to use the word kind of, I think it is the story of our time to be coming into alignment with raising our voices, listening to each other and creating something new. So that's the final the finale of, of the pep talk. <laughs> Just wanted to add. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure for your presence and listening to your voice. You speak your own voice and truth on this podcast. So thank you very much, Elisa. Thank you so much for having me, Raquel. Thanks, everybody. I'm your host, Raquel Ark from Listening Alchemy, and I hope you are inspired by this episode of Listen In and find one person today to practice your listening superpower. Subscribe to this podcast and share it with others for more practical and inspiring stories and examples so that we can catalyze a listening movement together. Find more information at www.listeningalchemy.com. Enjoy listening in. Thank you.